Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What is so significant about the Peter Whitmer Farm? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. As we've been discussing for the past several shows, Eric and I did visit a number of historical sites that are very important to members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We visited Nauvoo, Illinois, Kirtland, Ohio, and we also went to the Palmyra area and took a number of the tours that the LDS Church provides for visitors. As I've mentioned earlier, the reason why we wanted to do this was because We wanted to hear what the tour guides were saying about these places, and not only what they're saying about the places, but what they're not saying about the places, because you can learn a lot from what you don't hear on some of these tours. We are now in the Palmyra area, and we are going to visit the Peter Whitmer Farm. The Peter Whitmer Farm is located in Fayette, New York, south of Palmyra, New York. And why is this place significant, Eric? According to the Ensign Peak Foundation, they have an article that says the Peter Whitmer Senior Farmhouse served as a location for many important events in the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Much of the Book of Mormon was translated here. The three witnesses were shown the plates in a wooded area on the Whitmer Farm, and the Whitmer Home was the location of the organization of the church. Now, let me stop you there, because if someone was paying close attention, they might have caught something that sounds a little bit suspicious. It says that in the Peter Whitmer Senior Farm home, much of the Book of Mormon was translated. But yet, the three witnesses, it says, were shown the plates in a wooded area on the Whitmer farm. Now, here becomes my question. If I'm reading this, I'm wondering, he's translating the plates in the Peter Whitmer farmhouse. In fact, we were taken by a senior missionary to that area, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was upstairs, and this is where Joseph Smith commenced the translation of the plates. Now, it says here, though, that the witnesses were shown the plates in a wooded area on the Whitmer farm. Why would they have to go out into a wooded area of the Whitmer Farm when Joseph Smith is supposedly translating the gold plates in the Whitmer Farm house? Why do they go out into the woods? According to the story, Joseph Smith has to pray and get a revelation just to get permission for these three men to see these plates. That would be Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And also we learn, because this becomes section 17 in the Doctrine and Covenants, where it says in a heading, By faith the three witnesses shall see the plates and other sacred items. Now, I think our question should be, why would they need faith to see the plates if Joseph Smith has actual plates with him inside the Peter Whitmer farmhouse that he is translating? Why would you need faith to see them? But this is what we're told. Joseph Smith gets a revelation that these three men are going to be allowed to see the plates. 
The story is recounted in Volume 1, beginning on page 52 of the documentary History of the Church. It explains that Smith received a revelation to allow these three men to actually see the plates, but there were requirements. They needed to have faith to see them, as I mentioned earlier. On page 54, it says in the history of the church, not many days after the above commandment was given, we four, that is, Martin Harris, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and myself, that would be Joseph Smith, agreed to retire into the woods and try to obtain, by fervent and humble prayer, the fulfillment of the promises given in the above revelation that they should have a view of the plates. Why do they have to pray, Eric, in order to see tangible plates? Again, I think these are serious questions that need to be answered by LDS historians and scholars, but yet they really don't answer this. You just kind of have to assume this is the way it was. In a real world, there should be no reason why you would have to pray to see tangible plates. There would be no reason why you would have to have faith to see these plates. But yet, they go out into the woods, and they pray, and nothing happens. Martin Harris thinks he's the reason, so he leaves the group. After he leaves the group, the angel Moroni allegedly shows up with the plates. My question is, where did he get them? Did the angel Moroni go into the house, go grab the plates, and then run back out into the woods, perhaps invisible at this point, and then shows up with the same plates that were supposedly in the farmhouse to begin with? See, these details aren't even covered. They're kind of ignored. How did this actually happen? We find later on, according to this account on page 55, it says that Joseph Smith leaves the men after the angel Moroni shows them the plates, turns the leaves over leaf by leaf. A voice out of heaven says that they were translated correctly. Joseph Smith goes and finds Martin Harris, and they accordingly joined in prayer and ultimately obtained our desires. And before we had yet finished, the same vision was open to our view, at least it was again open to me, and I once more beheld and heard the same things, whilst at the same moment Martin Harris cried out, apparently in an ecstasy of joy, "'Tis enough, tis enough, mine eyes have beheld, mine eyes have beheld," and jumping up he shouted, "'Hosanna, blessing God,' and otherwise rejoiced exceedingly." Why is he rejoicing? He claims to have had a vision just like the other men had a vision before Smith came to find Martin Harris. We see no mention here that they are looking at tangible gold plates. It's a vision. That seems to bother a lot of Latter-day Saints, as I think it should, because it tends to show us that they really didn't see anything other than what they saw in this alleged vision. They had to have faith to see it, they had to pray to see it, and then they saw it in a vision. That's not usually how modern tour guides tell the story. You get the impression from the way they tell the story that they were looking at tangible gold plates. I don't think that's true at all. They're at this cabin. It's a reconstructed or a recreated cabin of what it looked like when the Whitmers lived there at that time. When we arrived on the property, we went into the visitor center, and we saw some sister missionaries there, and there was another gentleman there, a, a retired age man that was there, and 
we made it known that we were not members of the church, and so we heard him tell the sister missionaries that he was going to take us on our tour of the cabin. And so we followed him out there. He was a very nice man, but we go out into this cabin, and of course you're on the bottom floor, and this is where the church was started. He mentioned there was, what, 50-some-odd people that were crammed in this lower level of this cabin, and there was two levels to the cabin, and yet this is where the church was actually formed. In the beginning, there were six members. Now, this senior missionary takes us upstairs to the room where the translation took place. Now, again, this is, this is recreated. This is not original at all. Now, when I visited there years ago, back in the 90s, There was a table with two chairs facing each other, and there was a curtain hanging there. There was no curtain hanging at this time, which of course would mean that if Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were really translating the gold plates, facing each other, you would think Oliver Cowdery would have been able to see the plates before Joseph Smith gives the revelation, giving permission to show the plates to Oliver Cowdery. So this becomes a little suspicious. When we're having a conversation with our tour guide, And again, we might mention that many times while we were taking these tours, God allowed us to have in-depth conversations with some of these tour guys because we were not bothered by anybody. And so we are all alone with this gentleman on the upper floor of this cabin, and he had already mentioned to us that he was a convert from Catholicism. And as we were talking, he was mentioning how we are all fallen humans and far from perfect. And he admitted that he was far from perfect. That's not normally something you hear many Latter-day Saints say to you. They don't usually want to talk about their shortcomings and sinfulness. They want to talk about how much they've accomplished and how good they are because it's their goodness that they feel is going to get them into the celestial kingdom. But he did mention to us how important it was to be a good person. And what was interesting is, was it you or was it Trevor that asked him where he thought people like us were going to go who were not members of the church? And he actually at least hinted to us that we could possibly go to the celestial kingdom. Now, of course, Mormonism doesn't allow for this. This is something that this individual happen to believe, but this is not Mormon doctrine. Mormonism does not teach that non-members without priesthood authority and not members baptized by authority are going to be able to get into the celestial kingdom if they did not embrace the restored gospel during their lifetime. He almost seemed to want to have us on his side. Oh yeah, you're going to be just fine. But we didn't feel comfortable to get into a full-fledged conversation as to what we might have thought, and he didn't ask us, so we were very cautious, did not want to step on toes. Needlessly, uh, we're on his turf, and we just, we're just trying to ask a couple of questions, and, and he was very kind. But to his admission that he was not a good person is a huge deal, because he said you had to be a good person, but he wasn't doing what he said you had to do. And of course, when a person says that to someone like us, we are at least going to ask them the question about where they are in light of eternity. And I'm sure this man had every hope that he was qualified for the celestial kingdom. But here's what was interesting. 
I asked him specifically, based on what he had said about his own fallenness and his sinful nature, I asked him if he believed that God would look upon his sin with, and I can't remember exactly the words, I think I said something like with a certain amount of allowance or some kind of allowance. Now, of course, I'm making reference to Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 31, but he didn't catch it because his answer was very telling. He said yes. But yet that's not what his scripture says. His scripture makes it very clear that his God will not look upon his sin with the least degree of allowance. It made me wonder how many other Latter-day Saints think the same thing that this elder thought, that somehow God was going to wink at their sin, even though their scripture says that he will not, that he's incapable of doing that. It was an interesting conversation. Again, it was very polite. We ended, I think, as friends, and as we left the cabin, here comes this huge crowd of young people, at least 30-some young people. I know that because I took a picture of them, and I counted. But God allowed us to have our time alone to be able to talk to this gentleman about not only the history of that building, but also to talk about where he is in light of eternity. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. How would you like to have Mormonism Research Ministry address your church on the subject of Mormonism? MRM's Bill McKeever and Derek Johnson have spoken at many Christian churches all over the country. You see, they can tailor their presentation to meet your church's needs. Anything from a one-day basic introduction to a weekend symposium. You'll find these PowerPoint presentations clear, articulate, and presented in a Christ-honoring fashion. So let your pastor know today that you'd like to have MRM speak at your church. Write us at contact at mrm.org.